Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Firm Returns podcast. I'm James Goodwin. Um, Today I want to have a look at a write-up I did of another stock last year called Taylor Maritime Investments. So let's start going through the write-up here. Taylor Maritime Investments or with it, which has the ticker, it's, it has two tickers, TMI, which is uh, listed in dollars, and TMIP, which is listed in pounds sterling. So Taylor Maritime Investments is a specialist dry bulk shipping company that listed on the main market of the London Stock Exchange in May 2021. They have a portfolio of 27 geared dry bulk vessels, 26 handy size and one supermax with an average age of approximately 10 years. They also own a 26.6% stake in Grindrod Shipping Holdings LTD, which has a complementary portfolio of 24 vessels. So I'm gonna go through, like I say, this was, I wrote this back in 2022, around about in May 22nd, 2022 to be exact. So at this time they had just acquired this 26.6% stake but actually since then they've acquired the whole company and at, and at the end I'm going to go through a, a Twitter thread I did which was on the, the latest quarterly update which kind of should bring you up to date with where we are with the company. So let's continue. So the commercial management of the vessels in the portfolio is outsourced to Taylor Maritime, a separate entity founded by the executive directors of TMI that has served as commercial manager to a number of large shipping companies. The technical management of the vessels in the fleet is outsourced to Tamar Ship Management, which is a partner of Taylor Maritime. The vessels are contracted out on time charters with an effective daily rate that excludes voyage expenses, fuel, port fees, etc., which are paid by the charterer. Due to positive market dynamics, the the average daily rate of time charter contracts for the portfolio is now in excess of $19,000 per day compared to the 20-year average for equivalent vessels of $12,000. The same supply-demand mismatch has caused the price of new vessels to rocket, providing a corresponding uplift in the prices of the second-hand vessels in the portfolio. The management have capitalised on this uplift with some strategic sales of older vessels in the portfolio at multiples of invested capital, or MOICs, M-O-I-C, of 1.4 times to 1.7 times. The proceeds of these sales were used used to part finance the acquisition of the stake in Grindrod Shipping. The company uses a mix of long, medium and short charter durations, providing exposure to attractive spot rates while maintaining good earnings visibility. The average charter duration published in the Q4 trading update was seven months. So this would have been the beginning of, of last year. The minor bulk commodities carried by TMI's fleet are particularly uh, sorry, are primarily necessity goods, such as grains and other agribulks, that are less exposed to economic events than the other commodities like oil. Handy size and supermax vessels are also more versatile than larger vessels 
able to reach smaller ports than those without loading equipment since they have their own onboard cranes. So yeah, they're, they call them geared ships, geared vessels. They have their own onboard cranes and they can go sort of inland, even up rivers and so on, partially to, to get to smaller ports that can't be reached by these sort of large uh, oil tankers and, and large bo dry bulk capes eyes and beyond dry bulk vessels. So they, they have a quite a niche market that they do, they can dominate just by, by dint of their, their size. In the first few months after the IPO, the company's share traded at a premium. It is likely that this was partly caused by an increasingly positive outlook for the shipping sector as the rush of demand triggered by post-lockdown reopening caused spot rates to increase sharply. Another component is the fact that several of the seed assets were purchased in part by issuance of consideration shares, which had a lock-in period of between 6 to 12 months. This meant the supply of shares on the secondary market was more limited during this period. The evident demand for additional shares allowed the company to raise an additional $75 million through a subsequent share issue, which was used to acquire a further six vessels. Over the course of the year, the NAV has, or net asset value has grown substantially to the point where it now stands over 70% 70, 70 higher than at the time of the IPO. The share price hasn't quite kept up and so the shares now trade at a discount. This is likely due in part to the liquidation of the consideration shares held by several entities, none owned by the management, after their lock-in period ended, increasing the supply of shares on the secondary market. It's also likely to do with uh, sort of negative sentiment and, and market outlook. The company had a vessel docked at one of Ukraine's Black Sea ports when Russia invaded on the 24th of February. The crew were evacuated safely but the ship remains at berth in port. As the ship is still on charter and insured, the impact on TMI should be minimal. Less than 5% of port calls made by TMI vessels were to the Ukrainian and were to Ukrainian or Russian ports, so it shouldn't be difficult to reroute these vessels elsewhere. TMI employs a revolving credit facility restricted to a maximum of 25% of NAV to fund acquisitions and is currently drawn to the value of $140 million, 24.3% of NAV, as of, 30th, of 31st of March 2022. This debt is not intended to be structural so will be paid down by operating cash flows in between acquisitions. So yeah, there was a bit of a change uh, later when they wanted to do the full buyout of Grindrod. This was threshold was raised up to 40%. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll cover that a bit later, uh, later on when we look at the, the latest update. So let's have a look at the management. The company is very much a family operation, with Edward Buttery, the CEO, and Camilla Pierrepont, the CSO, Chief Strategy Officer, being brother and sister. The, their father, Christopher Buttery, a veteran of the shipping industry and co-founder of Pacific Basin, sits on the board as a non-executive director. I would estimate their stake in the company to be somewhere between 5 to 10%. 
both through personal holdings and interests in other entities that have significant ownership stakes. Several of the seed portfolio assets were previously in the possession of other companies in which the Buttery family had a stake, and their sale to TMI was made partly through the issuance of consideration shares. So yeah, when the company was formed, uh, there was a seed portfolio of uh, of ships, which was several were provided by other companies, hence all the, the consideration shares I was mentioning earlier that were being sold off and so on, but there was a, a good bulk of them actually um, provided by, uh, I think it would have been, uh, well obviously all of these ships have their own individual holding companies and so on, but I think they probably would have been under the umbrella of the Taylor Maritime company, which was um, run by Edward Buttery and his, and the other members of the executive t team beforehand, and that's now been passed over to, to other people. Um, but yeah, let's um, carry on. So the members of the executive team all worked together at Taylor Maritime. Yeah, there you go. A business founded by Edward Buttery, the CEO. Prior to the formation of TMI, yeah, prior to the formation of TMI. Between them, they have extensive experience in the maritime sector and business more broadly. The board equally holds a wealth of experience and is chaired by Nicholas Lukiadopoulou, whose family owns the Nader Maritime Agency, a shipping business founded by the Lukiadopoulou family in 1879. So since writing this, um, and s since doing the Grindrod shipping acquisition, and the company now being now having a combined sort of nav in excess of a billion dollars um nicholas has actually now left the board as chairman to go back and because he he was still running his own shipping companies uh, the nada maritime agency so he's now gone back to focus on that because while this was a, a smaller entity it was um possible he believed it was possible to be to be chairman, but I think now the time commitment for this larger entity that was such that he's uh, he's he's moved on. He's moved back to focusing on his uh, family business, and he said as much in a in a press release. So the incentives of the executive team seem to be reasonably well aligned with the shareholders, as a large part of their remuneration comes in the form of a long-term incentive plan or LTIP paid through the issuance of shares, which is dependent on the size of the return on NAV they achieve. With a target 12% return achieved each year over a three-year period, the total management fees, including base salaries, would equate to somewhere around 1% of the NAV. The fee percentage is expected to decrease as the NAV grows. So yeah, well, uh, I'm not sure We'll have to see in their next annual report whether that's that situation remains now that they have pretty much doubled the size of the company whether that the um uh the, that's still going to be one percent or or less it will have decreased or whether they're going to start charging themselves more now that they they're managing a bigger company well we'll just have to see so let's move on now to have a look at the valuation and investment case to get a conservative baseline valuation for the company, I will consider only the expected operating cash flows, excluding any profits from appreciating asset values. 
As previously mentioned, the average daily charter rate for a 32 dry weight ton TWT handy size vessels over the last 20 years has been $12,000. The vessel operating costs are as yet undisclosed by TMI, but drawing on information from other sources, I'd estimate them to be around $5,500 per day. I actually looked at some of the the grind rod um, figures for this, which is the company they're acquiring, because it's quite a similar comparable portfolio, and they did provide a, a breakdown, so that was uh, the, uh, the source I used for that information. Subtracting one figure from the other gives us a daily operating income per vessel of $6,500. Multiplying this figure by the fleet size of 27 and the number of operational days per year, 227, uh, sorry, 227 is what I've calculated from the data provided in TMI's Q4 trading update. So, uh, yeah, it's just worth noting actually at this point that I, when I wrote this, they hadn't actually published their first annual report. So I was doing all of this, these calculations from their trading updates. So, um, but I think the, uh, the annual reports was pretty much in line with all of this. So, uh, yeah, using the, multiplying that $6,500 figure by the fleet size and the number of operational days per year, which is 227, we get an operating income of approximately $40 million per year from the vessel portfolio. If I add to this the well-covered dividend of $14 million the company receives from its stake in grind rod shipping, we get an operational income of $54 million. So. Yeah, it's worth no noting that now with the acquisition of Grindrod, which actually had a larger fleet than Taylor Maritime investments, the uh, you could expect that combined figure to be, well, potentially if they're getting fourteen million for, and and that was just the dividends, not that was not necessarily they weren't paying out all of their operating income. The operating income now could be closer to the. 90 to 100 million dollar mark so it's uh and obviously that at the moment a lot of that's being you know a good chunk of that will be being used to pay off the debt that they took on to do that acquisition but the nice thing is because it was done with debt it wasn't done with equity we're actually the, the actual income per share when they start paying down the debt is going to be it's going to increase substantially so we're you know we're looking at some pretty serious gains uh, potentially once, once the net starts, the the debt starts going down. So subtracting another four million dollars from this figure for other expenses, management fees, admin fees, audit fees, etc., I get a nice, I get a net income figure of fifty million dollars, which I use as the starting point for the net present value MPV calculations. So note I've excluded interest expenses as the company plans to maintain no long-term structural debt. Tax has also been excluded as the company is registered in Guernsey and all vessels in the portfolio are individually held in SPVs, predominantly registered in the Marshall Islands. I think those are SPVs are special purpose vehicles, meaning the profits are shielded from income tax. So, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that $50 million figure there, there's a little bit of estimation going on, um, but yeah, it's a, a fairly conservative 
estimate. Like I say, this is for the downside, so just assuming they're on the, they just earned the average for the last 20 years. Um, but as we see, there's there's quite a lot of, well, as we sort of mentioned with the structural case behind it, I think we get onto that a bit more later. There's, there's a good chance of them being above the average going forward due to uh, supply constraints and the fact the order book being for handy sides and supermax vessels being lower than the number of vessels being retired. Uh, but anyway, yeah, let's move on. So with the market cap of the company currently approximately $500 million, this net income figure would give a PE of 10. On top of this, we can expect operating income to grow as profits are reinvested in either direct or indirect fleet expansion, which I'll conservatively assume is 5%. Let's just have a look at what the actual uh, market cap is right now. I believe it has come down from the time of writing this. So let's just have a quick look. One second. Oh, yes, it has. So the in, I think this will be in dollars. Uh, yeah, three hundred and twenty-two million dollars. So it's actually come down quite a bit from that, from the time I was writing this. So that's actually uh, an even better, an even lower PE than that at the current price. Uh, and based on those, on those earnings going forwards. But of course, the earnings are actually considerably higher. So let's just have a. Okay, let's continue, shall we? Uh, so, using a discount rate of ten percent, these figures give a net give a positive NPV, net present value over fifteen years. This provides decent downside protection, but I don't feel it it accurately reflects the potential returns from this company. To put it in perspective, their operating profits for the quarter ending the thirty first of March, twenty twenty two, alone were thirty three million dollars, and the charter rates have only strengthened since then. So yeah, I mean, this is like, that's in one quarter, more than half of the uh, the annual figure we were, look we were calculating there. So they, they did get a big boon in, uh, in 2021 and 2022 with shipping rates being very high. I mean, I we mentioned earlier, the rates were, at the time of ripeness, were $19,000 per day rather than 12000 So significantly higher and we'll, we'll get an accurate we'll, I'll give you a picture of what their their current rates are as well the, the most recently reported rates are um, later so where, where are we dun, dun, dun. yeah right charter rates are expected to remain high for at least the next couple of years as order books for new handy size and supermax vessels are currently below the rate of retirement meaning the global fleet size is expected to shrink in the near term. There are a couple of factors contributing to this. The first is increased demand for new container ships, LNG carriers and oil tankers filling up shipyards as container shipping rates and fossil fuel prices have rocketed. The second is hesitancy to order new vessels due to anticipated environmental regulations that could impair their value. Effective supply is also expected to decrease 
as vessels are forced to slow down in order to reduce their emissions to meet forthcoming environmental targets set by the International Maritime Organization IMO. If the company is able to recycle these near-term profits into further vessel acquisitions, the expanded portfolio size should bolster operating income and offset any drop-off in charter rates. Portfolio growth can be further accelerated if they are able to sell vessels at elevated prices and replace them with stakes in listed shipping companies selling at a substantial discount to NAV, as they did with Grindrod Shipping. So yeah, and we saw examples of that of them being able to sell those vessels at pretty uh, phenomenal return on invested capitals and so on and uh, yeah pretty good IRR as well internal rate of returns uh, given the the time in which they were able to, to sell them so yeah then we come to the final paragraph here for the investment case uh, there are a number of realistic scenarios that incorporate the current market conditions and favorable near-term charter rates under which the company could generate an IRR in excess of 20% for investors when modeled over 15 years this would equate to a 15x multiple of invested capital so there is a substantial upside to be had so yeah at 15 at 20% over 15 years you get a 15x <laughs> so yeah not bad if you can uh, if they can if it can be kept up um but yeah that's uh like i say that was at the previous price out of recorded this i'm pretty sure that was somewhere around i can't remember exactly what the did i say what the share price was of this company then I have a feeling it was around about one pound, one dollar forty-four or something like that, um, and it's now down at sort of, let me have a look, one dollar twelve. So yeah, it's come down quite a bit since then, significantly more attractive. So let's uh, briefly move on to the risks, which I outline here at the end, um, and then we'll have a look at the trading, the latest trading update. So the first risk to address is that is that of a global recession looking increasingly likely given the current inflationary pressures causing a market downturn a mitigating factor against this risk is the fact that the cargo carried by TMI's fleet consists of necessity goods a recession is likely to cause a distinct downturn in demand for discretionary goods which you would expect to put downward pressure on container shipping rates a similar argument could be made for fossil fuel shipments as demand is killed by inflated prices. However, demand for necessity goods such as grains and other agribulks is less susceptible to economic downturns. The shipping rates are determined by the combination of the supply of vessels and the price of the commodities being transported. The supply of vessels looks favourable over the next few years, while the price of commodities such as wheat is likely to remain high for a stretch but will eventually fall back down with a lag as input costs decrease. The second risk to address is management. When I first started looking at this company, I recognised this as a prominent risk given the close relationships, familial and otherwise, between the directors. This extends beyond the company itself to the commercial manager which is privately owned by the management team of TMI. However, 
I think they have put together a strong independent board to oversee the operations and ensure the interests of investors are prioritised. The executive team also has significant stakes in the company and their interests are further aligned with investors through a long-term incentive plan linked to NAV growth. As to the competence of the management team, I have seen good evidence of their ability to source and complete attractive deals for the purchase and sale of assets. They have also demonstrated a capacity for capturing favourable short-term charter rates while prudently maintaining a mix of longer-term charters to ensure good cash flow visibility and hedge against volatility and spot rates. The final risk I want to address is leverage. Given the expectation that interest rates will continue to rise as central banks attempt to combat inflation, there is the risk that interest payments on debt will become unsustainable, especially if there is any fall in cash flows. The company's policy of restricting debt to a maximum of 25% of NAV and only to facilitate acquisitions rather than as a structural component of the balance sheet helps to mitigate against the risk of debt becoming unsustainable. The visibility of cash flows, average charter duration is seven months, also helps to ensure that interest payments are covered in the medium term. So yeah, I mean the the visibility of cash flows with the the average the sort of long average charter rates they're locking in um, is is still true. But as I've said, they've actually increased. There was a, a a vote of shareholders to increase the debt restriction to forty percent in order to facilitate the the acquisition, and that's uh, that was passed through with a, a very high percentage of votes. Um, and when the acquisition of Grindrod was made. So uh, that's the end of the of my write-up on it from May last year. Uh, let's have a look at the Twitter thread I did, which was... Um, do I get a time for this? This was the 27th of January, so it was on the day that this was released, I believe. Uh, so this is an update for Q3. So, and I've, if you actually have a look at the thread, you can see I've put a copy of the fact sheet on there as well, included in there. So you can have a look at this yourself. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll include the link to the article and to this thread in uh, the description, well, the, in the notes for this this episode. Right. So uh, here are some highlights from the Q3 update. So NAV per share decreased slightly from $1.67, sorry, to $1.67 from $1.70 the previous quarter. This compares very favorably to the stock price at closing of $1.11. So like I said, it's $1.12 now. The shares are trading at a 33.5% discount to NAV. The two cents dividend was covered four times by operating profit of circa $29.5 million. At 31st of December 2022, the average charter rate was circa $15,800 per day, with an average duration of six months providing good earnings visibility. So that's, uh, yeah, still significantly above the average of 12,000 for the last 20 years, but it's come down a bit from the 19,000 they were doing uh, earlier in the year. Uh, 
So this equates to an unleveraged gross yield of circa 22%. So that's a gross yield on the an unlevered gross yield on the net asset value. So the time charter rate achieved compared favorably to the adjusted Baltic handy size index BHSI of $9,983 at quarter end. So yeah, they've they've locked in rates that are higher than the spot rate significantly higher than the, uh, the spot rate at the time which is uh, shows good management the company completed the acquisition of Grin during the period of which it now owns 83.23% the combined fleet of 57 vessels has a market value of 1 billion dollars so you can see if they I think they might have sold off some but it's pretty much they got over 30 vessels I believe from from Grin so quite a yeah it was slightly more and some of those are larger vessels which I think they're intending to to sell off so uh, some ones that they, they effectively weren't handy size or super max I think they were uh, ultra max vessels so they I think they're looking to sell off some of those larger larger vessels which are obviously uh, bring in more money um, and, and higher charter rates but I think they want to just get it down to a fleet of all the same sort of size vessels that are, can be managed by the same probably by Taylor Maritime uh, sh for the for the shipping management and then Tamar maybe for the uh, sort of operational management so yeah I think you that allows them to get some operational synergies and uh some sort of efficiencies of scale with the larger fleet there if they're all comparable vessels so the total debt after the acquisition was 486 million dollars or 41.8 percent of the gross asset value so yeah that was um compared to i think it was a uh, 144 or something we had on the previously yeah I think that was 144 I'll say 140 million dollars before but obviously they've now got a larger asset base to compare it against so as a percentage it's still not it's not you know crazily higher but 41.8 percent of the gross asset value this is intended to be brought down through a combination of vessel sales and cash flows from operations the company seems to be targeting larger and older vessels for sales, allowing it to focus its fleet on the younger, handy-sized vessels with which it sees the largest structural market tailwinds in terms of shrinking global supply. Yes, that's another aspect. So they think the the price um, dynamics for the and the, the supply demand components of the market and so on are better for had the handy-sized vessels than they are for some of the larger ones so that's why they're looking to sell sell off the larger ones and focus the fleet on the, the smaller ones which will perhaps appreciate and, and hold their value longer so I've said finally here as the debt is paid down I can see NAV and earnings per share increasing substantially even without a market tailwind yes I mean that's a that's a key point because as we were saying earlier um, with this combined fleet together now of one billion dollars I mean if they get in I mean operating the other 22 percent at the moment but let's just say that comes down a little bit um, if they were managing to get 
the uh, sort of 10x multiple they were getting that we were looking at before on the on the average, then that could be so we were estimating sort of 50 million there. But so yeah, let's say we're getting that kind of figure, that 10% yield, let's say on the on the nav um, long term. That's uh, it's going to be 100 million or whatever, 100 million dollars earnings. Um, and the nav will be yeah once they start paying off the debt will be significantly higher as well so we've got quite a bit of potential upside as that debt starts get starts to get paid down and uh yeah and a, and a you know, quite a, a crazy amount of earnings i mean if we're talking that's they've got the potential with paying the debt down of and that's with the average rates of sort of a hundred million dollars or more um and assuming they don't make any any acquisitions anymore Vessel acquisitions going forward, even just individual ones. Yeah, we've got a lot of potential potential upside there from here. But yeah, anyway, that's uh, that's pretty much all I've all I've got on that one. Uh, so I've just thought that would be an interesting one to cover. It's one I covered, like I say, I wrote up last year, um, earlier on in last year. And I mean, I I actually bought it fairly soon after the IPO. It was the probably the only only time I've actually done anything like that <laughs> buying it close after the IPO I didn't actually participate in the IPO because it was um it would have been one where I'd needed to have it wasn't being I think I'd have had to have sent off for a share certificate I'd have to mailed a a check for a thousand a minimum of a thousand uh, dollars or something to uh, to buy the shares and I wasn't quite sure I was happy with that process and I've had to have handed over the share certificates to my broker to to make them electronic and it would have been a complicated thing so I just thought even if the price goes up a little bit after the acquisition I think I'd prefer to wait and uh, that's what I did but I got them pretty within sort of five or ten percent of the IPO price which was one dollar per share so and yeah I mean you can still get them now for not much more than the IPO price even though the 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 Price per the nav per share has gone up so substantially since then. So yeah, I think it's quite an interesting company. It sort of gives you a, an alternative kind of asset mix. I, I'm quite it's quite a simple business model. I quite like and I and I think I like the structural uh, market components to it. So it seems favourable. It's got some tailwinds, but even without them, it seems to be so lowly valued that you, you're going to get a a fair return. Even if the business just does the average of the historical average, or even even below it, um, after the recent acquisition, but yeah, that's uh, that's uh, pretty much all I've got to say on that one. Um, yeah, I'll I'll put the links as I mentioned in there, and I mean you can check out the write up on firmreturns.com and on Twitter. You'll see the thread which I I've done. I've done a few different posts, and I'll continue to do so as new quarterly updates come out. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. I'll uh, see you all in the next one.